Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a community celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelog.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us during the show at changelog.com slash community. And follow us on Twitter. We are at JS Party FM. All right, let's do this. You know the sound of those BMC beats means it's JS Party time, y'all. My name is Jared. I am happy to be here, and I'm happy to be joined by regular panelists, K-Ball and Divya. What's up, y'all? Yo, yo. Hello, hello. So we are kicking it live in 2020. We're no longer predicting 2020. We're living it. We're living it for reals. And we found a very cool repo this week. Shout out to Luigi DeRosa, aka at LaRook on Twitter. You can find him in the show notes and send him a tweet for putting together this really cool repo called browser 2020 the pitch of which is things you can do with a browser in 2020 and here we are in 2020 and so we thought this would be a cool conversation piece his description is this repo contains a non-exhaustive list of less known features implemented in browsers today or in some case just one browser today we'll get to some of that but he also says this list isn't intended for a technical audience. Instead, it wants to be a, I don't know, we could do that in a browser list. That being said, we're a technical audience, and yet there are things in here that I didn't know you could do in a browser. And so we assume listeners as well could learn a few things, as I did by going through this repo. So let's go through it a little bit. And I wanted to start with this question of surprise and things that we weren't aware of. So we are technical. That being said, what items in this list were surprises to y'all. What were new to JS people like us? I was actually surprised by the web share API, though partly I might be surprised by it because I think the UI is pretty terrible <laughs> from what I can tell on <laughs> non-mobile devices. That surprised you how bad the UI is? Well, I hadn't seen it. And then I realized the reason I hadn't seen it was for anything except a mobile device, the UI looks terrible. So like if you do the web share test, I think on you know, Safari or Chrome or something like that, it just looks pretty ugly. But if you do it on a phone, you get access to your native like system sharing thing. So people are probably using this when they're doing mobile web and then falling back to like share this or something else that actually gives you a nice UI on desktop and mobile. So the description of this, at least in the repo, is delegate the share of URLs or files to the operating system, providing share options based on the installed apps and the user preference. And so there isn't a UI though, right? Because that's the whole point. You're, you're passing the URL off. 
you're saying that in the web share test, as far as on Mac OS, that little share UI is subpar. Yes. Well, actually, no, now I'm testing and it doesn't even exist on my <laughs> Chrome. It's like, oh, that's an unsupported feature. <laughs> well, there's like a, you can sort of see it in the screen cap in that repo. They show you what it looks like on Safari. Ah, uh, yes. It does work on Safari. It's ugly as Yeah, it works on Safari. It's not super gray. <laughs> now, is that OS's fault or is that the API's fault? I think it's actually happening in the browser. But I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me because the whole point is to pass it off to the native OS. That's true. Yeah, so maybe that's Mac OS being like... (laughs) (laughs) So this is... I mean, this was also surprising. I didn't realize this was a thing. And maybe because nobody's really using it. Maybe because it doesn't work in all the browsers and whatnot. And maybe because the... Definitely the share sheets on mobile tend to be more refined than the ones on uh, at least Mac OS. I'm not sure how Windows or Linux's share sheets work if they have them at all. But on mobile, it's nice because it will subselect the apps you have. Like if you have the Buffer app installed or a Slack app installed, all that stuff just works. Whereas on your own web page, you are stuck implementing share to Twitter, share to Facebook, share to Reddit. Yeah, often I just always assumed it was only a mobile thing, I guess. Yeah, because I've only used it in that use case whenever, because oftentimes when you're on a mobile device, you don't. Your clipboard doesn't really exist. It just has like one thing it can ever save. And so for me, whenever I'm on something and I want to share it really quickly, it's very easy for me to just be like, oh, I want to share it on WhatsApp. And I don't have to go copy the link. Because also when you're on a mobile device, they hide the URL bar to give it more space. And so that's a really easy way for you to share a resource without having to like find the URL, which like sometimes is an AMP link. And then... (laughs) And then you have this giant URL that you're sending people. And so this is much cleaner. I'd almost rather if it only worked on mobile. Yeah. Because like, you know, if you do proper feature detection, you say, okay, does this thing exist? That doesn't tell you, does this thing exist? But it's super ugly because you're actually on desktop Safari. Mm -hmm. That's true. The example in the web.dev website shows the feature detection. If navigator.share. So this exists inside the navigator object and it's the dot share function. Um, so if that function exists or is defined, then call it basically is all they're doing. And it's promise based or yeah, it's promise based. So qu- question about share buttons. I'm, s- I'm so anti share buttons. I- I'm just, maybe I'm a curmudgeon, but I like this because it's like, well, if your OS will do it, cool. But if not, I don't know, copy and paste the URL or something. Like, I hate having Twitter's JavaScript on my website, Facebook's JavaScript. I know I end up hand rolling a lot of the little Twitter, uh, the share things just to construct the URLs myself because I'm just not a fan of like the share this or like the here's the gigantic list of social buttons that are slowing down my web page. What are your guys' thoughts on, on that? Am I a curmudgeon or are you with me? With my developer hat on, I'm 100% with you. But on your other hat? Well, my other hat was as a small business owner, which I guess I still am, even though I'm working for a company now. Uh, <laughs> it's complicated. Time, it's complicated. Yeah, my, my uh, business relationship status is it's complicated. But as a small business owner and doing marketing, it actually makes a huge difference. It does. Yeah, because you can track those whenever someone shares directly from a share URL versus copying and pasting. 
I mean, unless you're doing some kind of cookie tracking, it's really hard for you to just like follow that lead along. Even without tracking, like it, it makes a difference in the, I mean, yeah, you can hand roll it. And I actually, I do have a site where I hand rolled them because I didn't want third party JavaScript on my site. And that, that's yeah. a, another question, but like having the prompt and the easy click to share that prefills things, I have observed that it makes a dramatic difference in the viral echo that you'll get on a piece of material. That fascinates me because as a user, I never click those buttons. You're not the typical user, Jared. Well, I know that, but I'm, that's why I'm asking. Do you guys click the share button? Like if you see a button that says Pinterest and it's like all non-retina and it's like in a list of a zillion buttons, does that, does that like urge you to, to share it on Pinterest? Or would those people have shared it anyways and they're just like hit an easy button or not? I think, again, it's like device specific. So when I'm on my mobile device, then I'm more likely to do it than I am on web. Like on web, I never click on it. And oftentimes when I'm on a website, I mean, I'm on my laptop or my desktop a lot more Mm -hmm. than I am on mobile. I guess this is just generally not a common statistic, but as a developer, you're often on your laptop. But when I am on the go, it's really easy for me to share stuff. I'm not on Pinterest, so I, I don't really use that button. Yeah. Particularly, actually do not like the Twitter one. It's really annoying because I think sometimes people embed them in an article. And so as you're like clicking or even like selecting text, they'll be like, do you want to tweet this? And I'm like, no, I'm just reading. (laughs) I'm just reading and trying to keep my place. And so it's just like, I would rather those buttons be placed in a certain spot. And so if I want to access it, I can. Otherwise, it's not in my way. Yeah, I think if you're not, I've totally lost what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to sit here and let you swim in it. <laughs> you're going to let me swim. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> on my Zen Dev site on blog posts, I use, I think it's share this. And I have three or four default buttons plus their like share thing. Let me log in if I can remember the login and see how many people actually click on those things. Because I think it'll tell me if I even remember which account that's under. I guess it's this one. Social analytics. Oh, I don't have uh, analytics enabled. This is compelling radio right here. <laughs> uh, do they? Okay. It's a it's a Mr. Rogers edition. Oh, here Hang tight. No, Cable's no. doing password reset flow. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Will he get the email? Will he not? We'll never know. This will okay. be fun, actually. So social activity <laughs> over the course of 2019. Let's see if we can do that and this is by share this is report so it oh interesting so it all it tells me not only what did people click on to to share then it also tells me what referred what things referred to me these numbers don't look very good well they're not very good you get a bunch of jared's reading your website yeah uh, oh it's not actually giving me all of the that's the problem i was like these numbers look really small i told it to do a year but it's only showing me the last 30 days well, here's a, something to, to Divya's point on mobile, at least. So what I'm a bit confused about this is the share UI on mobile Safari and on other mobile things is like right there in the browser's UI. Like you don't have to trigger it from a web page. So why wouldn't you just hit the little share icon on your browser? Because you're on the URL. You assume you're going to share this URL, right? Mm-hmm. Why would you want it in your web page? Like as a strong call to action, like share this and it just pops to their thing. I can see where that would be cool. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah, 
people apparently share my stuff on WhatsApp, on SMS, on Blogger, on Evernote, all of these things. So you're using one of those big, you like share this things that just includes all the social networks. So I, well, what I have is I have four like individual buttons. I think Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and email. And then I have a like generic share that pops up one of those things. And I set this up you know, forever ago and it's slow as sin like that. I totally get not wanting on it, but yeah, it looks like people are clicking on, they're going through those deep dives. Like they're digging down and finding the one they want to do. Interesting. All right. So there you have it. Some people click on it. Some people don't. Let's move to the next API because uh, web share is surprising, but probably not worth as much attention as we're probably giving it right now. <laughs> what else, Divya, what surprised you on this list of lesser known APIs? I wrote the picture in picture one mainly mm-hmm. because, I mean, I never actually knew that that was an API. <laughs> I always assumed it was just specific to YouTube because it's the only thing I've ever seen use that. And so it's just very, it's not specific, it turns out. I guess that makes sense. Um, and it makes sense that Google uses it in their own products. Right. But I, I find it really useful, particularly, like, I guess YouTube is very specific and it's the only way that I've ever used it. But it's really nice because oftentimes when I'm watching a video, I might want to search for another video to, like, hew it up almost. And so being able to do that is really nice. And just not having to pause or go to another tab or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy that experience. And so that is super cool and interesting. And I honestly, like, I feel like I'm not thinking hard enough of like all the potential possibilities of picture in picture. I'm sure there's lots, mm. but I feel like video is the most compelling one. Yeah. Just because of like that playability or that just maybe podcast could be one too. Just like the ability for you to play a podcast as you're like reading something else or doing something else. Can't you do that now? So does it work with different kind of media streams? Could you start a podcast and have it go picture in picture and then navigate away from the website because i would definitely implement that on changelog.com yeah that's really interesting i'm not 100 percent sure um it seems that all the examples are video media stream video support mm-hmm. no there's audio playlists as well cool so there's a potential for you to do that yeah i guess yeah it would be good for podcast listening as well as like if you want spotify to be playing like kind of in a separate thing because sometimes it's like oh i lost the tab or i navigated away by accident and then my music right. stops playing so yeah lots of possibilities there really exciting and cool so i'm with you i thought that was just the youtube thing and i'm realizing that's actually a available api for anybody who's doing video or i guess audio as well to implement into their website and it's user agreed upon thing like yeah exactly I think you might have to fake some video. Oh, yeah? I'm, well, I'm just scanning through the, the doc here, and it says, your promise may reject for any of the following reasons, and one of them was video file is audio only. Mm. Promise may reject picture in picture. We could just do an animated oh. GIF of K-Ball doing the salsa during the JS party. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that the reason why? Actually, I don't know if this is even the reason why. Because you know how Spotify sometimes when they play, they do this little GIFs? that they have now if you look at like the i don't know if it's in the web app but it's in the mobile def version definitely like whenever you're playing Mm. and you look at what you're playing there's like this little video that plays in the background that loops that could be why i wonder if that's the reason but i'm not 100 percent sure and i'm not gonna say it is because it's very random it's like okay i don't really need this video (laughs) like why is it there 
to drain my battery or something, but. Right. Yeah. Well, I will say the most surprising one to me was the web coffee API. <laughs> and I'll say it's Nick Nisi's favorite a new API. I won't say anything else about it besides link in the show notes. You should definitely click on the link in the show notes and check out the web coffee API. Oh, dear. Let's talk about the useful ones because <laughs> surprising is one thing. And everybody likes web coffee APIs. Check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. I just checked it out and I was <laughs> not sad. Caffeinated? Not sad. <laughs> you know I love coffee. There you go. Adequately. <laughs> yes. What about useful? What are things that are uh, on this list that you would either are using today or would love to integrate like now into some sort of project or waiting for an excuse to use? Things that people actually likely are interested in on this on this list here. So I think payments is huge. I think we're already starting to see the impacts of payments, but mostly through apps and stuff like that. But particularly when you look at mobile payment, things like Apple pay or Google pay, where you basically, you can authenticate with your thumb or your finger and, or I guess in newer versions of the phone with your face, what have you, but it makes it the friction for buying something on the web, particularly in a mobile device where typing in credit card numbers and things like that is a pain in the butt, mm -hmm. just takes that away. And we've had that to some extent in native apps for a while. And, you know, I buy a lot of things with the Amazon mobile app, but opening that up to any e-commerce site out there really lowers the barrier to entry. And so that could be something that, for example, you know, Shopify implements. In fact, I would bet that they do implement. They do. And, and suddenly anyone who has an e-commerce store using Shopify, their products are available to somebody to buy in a seamless way using their phone. That's a phenomenal increase in usability for e-commerce on mobile. Like that's, I, I would bet that alone dramatically increased the conversion rates of mobile commerce. Yeah, and it's reasonably well supported. I mean, it's on 15% uh, green on browsers, but it's got the, the big ones in terms of mobile, which is mobile Safari. And then it's on, there's like partial support in something like 74% according to Can I Use of the Payment Request API. So it's pretty usable today. It's not going to hit all the browsers, but it's going to save a lot of people a lot of time and really reduce that friction, like you said, K-Ball, and make it seamless for those who are ready to buy. You know, that's... There's that moment when you're ready to buy between the point that you want to and the point that you actually get it done. And lots of people drop off if that's long and tedious. I know I sure have. You make that as seamless and as easy as possible and you're making more money. I love it because I just, um, whenever I want to purchase something, because I often, <laughs> I, I'm one of the consumers who thinks multiple times before buying something. Mm. Plus they do a ton of research. And then when I'm at the point of buying, I'm also Potentially, I might change my mind last minute when I'm mm -hmm. already in the checkout process. And so when it's super easy to use, I'm more likely to buy it. It's because often, like whenever I'm typing the thing in, it'd be like, do you want to add your credit card information automatically? And I'm like, yes. Personally, I never pull out my credit card because I memorize it. That's like a separate thing. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it. No, actually, I don't. I, well, I don't want to admit that I know it, but I guess I just do <laughs> Um, <laughs> prove it prove it what is it oh snap <laughs> no <laughs> even at gunpoint i will not tell you but it is nice to not have to one like remember it because sometimes i remember it poorly as well that happens 
rarely, but it does happen. It's just the ability for you to like, you only need to know your CVV essentially um, mm-hmm. just to prove that like, this is the card you want to use. And that's like the one way that, so it's, it's easy, but there's like that one step of like just checking that you are the person using the card or that is your card because you have to know that information. And that's like a three-digit number, so you can easily remember that. I like it. It's so smooth, so easy. Absolutely. And I would say, as somebody who likes to support small indie businesses and small e-commerce sites, and yet doesn't like to just sprinkle his credit card around the web, you know, like uh, like fairy dust for anybody just to uh, fall into their lap. I have this weird dichotomy where I'm like, well, I would love to just shop at just random mom and pop shops on the internet, but I also don't want to do that a lot of times because I'm like, well, are they going to be really... So just the proliferation of platforms like Shopify, Stripe, like when I see the Stripe dialogue, like their built-in checkout, I have a sense, as somebody who understands all of how that works, I realize we're a subset here as well. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm like, okay, this is something I can, I feel like I can trust. I have more trust because of it. Same with Shopify. I think this API style leads to that because you're feeling the you're allowing it through your OS, right? Yeah, be cautious on that. Sure. <laughs> because the naive implementation of this, that your credit card number still goes to that site. Yeah. There are token-based versions that are more secure. And I think like the Apple Pay implementation, all those use token-based ones. But mm-hmm. the simplest, most naive way to implement Web Payments API as a website, you still end up with the credit card number. Yeah, because I think if you natively just use web payments, it's not automatically using other services or APIs like Stripe or anything like that. It's just you're using it on the site itself, and so that site has access to that information. The most naive implementation, you it's literally just an autofill. Is that what you're saying? Essentially, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Gotcha. Linode is our cloud server of choice. Grab the Nanode plan for just $5 a month, just five bucks. That gets you a gig of RAM, a blazing fast 25 gig SSD, and one terabyte of transfer. Let's be honest, you can go a long ways on that five bucks. When you do need to scale up, their prices are predictable, so you can put your calculator down. You won't need it. We've been running changelog.com on Linode for years, and we've always impressed by their award-winning support team. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Once again, that's linode.com slash changelog. that web payments api very useful what else looks useful on these things that you can do in 2020 maybe don't know about but can be super useful for folks so this is something that i uh learned about when i went to chrome dev summit last year which is just the the sms receiver api which i think is like i know there's some reservation around your app being able to read people's sms but it does require like there is some privacy require like requirement there which is users have to opt in they have to be like yes i want you to read my sms um but when you do that it's really nice for like one-time password passcode type things because it's a very seamless way so instead of having to navigate away this is for mobile obviously like on desktop it's like whatever but on mobile it makes for a much seamless experience because having to switch is really annoying and already as is like switching to the authenticator app 
to grab the code and then mm-hmm. back in is such a pain. It's such a pain. It's so necessary, but such a pain. And it's the same for SMS stuff as well. Like, obviously, there are ways around it that you don't have to use that. So the app reads your SMS because sometimes your SMS comes through as a pop, like a notification. And then you can just like quickly read the number and then type it in if you are good at remembering numbers. But in general, if you trust an application, it's it's a very easy flow of like logging in. And I think they showed an example of using that for re-authentication mainly. So there are many applications where it's passwordless. So you would use a one-time passcode to log in. But then because of a lot of issues with that, with SIM attacks and all kinds of things that come around with using your phone to authenticate, you would just essentially require a password and then use that OTP to re-auth or just as an extra step in authenticating a user. But it does reduce that barrier to entry specifically for two-factor or multi-factor auth, which tends to be very like a very clunky user experience. And many people refuse to use it just for that purpose. They're like I'd rather my application be seamless, so I don't want to use 2FA, which is like not great. <laughs> Especially if you're accepting credit card information or anything that's very personal and private hmm. i don't think i understand this api is this so like who gets the sms like is this a browser api i think so yeah i'm, yeah. I'm looking through it as well one of the things i'm trying to understand so are you basically you just get access to sms's that happen yeah it would be with like sms that has an otp on an application that you're on otp one-time password right yeah one-time password so you're like logging into like i don't know paypal or something and then they're like you need a one-time password we sent it to you via sms and then it's like cool and then it just reads it because it's just automatic it happens at that point in time yeah i just don't understand how like the front end receives an sms it's the sms receiver api like who's sending it yeah so have a I think I'm looking at code examples because there's like a repo for like questions. Um, Let me drop the repo I'm looking at here. So it looks like basically you, you await, you run navigator.sms.receive and you await the response. And then that probably Mm -hmm. asks for permission at that point. Yeah. I think so. And then it comes back, I assume with the next response, the next SMS that comes in. So you could get, if somebody happened to send you an SMS at the same time, you would mm-hmm. get that one instead, which could be awkward. But uh, so that's interesting. I wonder if there's a yeah. I don't actually know if this particular API allows you to check like where that message is coming from. I don't think so. Because yeah, if someone messages you something else, yeah, would that read it? Like I would like it to be able to say, "Hey, we will accept and and have this be part of the permission flow too." Say we'll get yeah. an SMS from this number, or for numbers matching these criteria, or something like that. Because yeah, like I'd be really hesitant to say, "Yeah, sure, you can read whatever SMS comes into me," but if he says, "Okay, you know, they're asking for permission to read SMSs from this number." So the uh, documentation shows is that essentially you're writing some regex. To have the to check whether it matches a specific thing, so you're checking mm-hmm. whether it matches. Like, oftentimes an OTP will be like OTP equals whatever, or even like a specific string of characters. Let's assume that everything is numbers, or it starts with a specific letter. 
you can just check that that SMS matches that criteria and then grab it accordingly. But I don't know if it prevents... Like, I, I think it would have to read any messages that come in at that point in time. So if there's two messages that come in, it would read both and then grab the one that it needs. Yeah, it seems like a worldwide race condition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, who can send the SMS faster? This website that you just asked to or your significant other who happens to be saying something to you and now it's reading that to in run numbers. a regex against it, right? It's like, hey, OTP equals. <laughs> <laughs> That's how my wife and I always chat. Well, that regex could be whatever, right? Exactly. It doesn't have to be a regex. It could probably just be like a slurp. Yeah, it it looks as though, I mean, once again, I'm just looking at this example code here, but it looks as though it's running, the regex stuff is in your code. It's in user code. Yeah, it's in your user code. So you could say, instead of regex, you could say, post whatever you get back to my web. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, definitely. You would have to do that validation in the application and if they don't do the validation it will read anything so this one fits in our next category which is how many of these are rife for abuse yeah exactly yeah okay so we should state this is definitely interesting we should state this is in uh what's the status it's very early days origin trial yeah i wonder if do they ask you for permission each time or do they only ask you for permission i think they ask you once and then the assumption is that you'd want it over and over again. Well, so that's interesting, right? Because what if I ask for permission once, but then I just sit there listening to every SMS that comes in? Right? I, I would have, have the valid approach of, oh, yeah, we're going to do a two-factor authentication. Great. We sent you right. an SMS. You verify that. But if it doesn't ask you for permission again the next time, you could just sit there waiting for SMS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Read every SMS that comes in until they leave your web page. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a nice warning on the SMS receiver API announcement. It says attackers can spoof SMS and can hijack a person's phone number. Carriers can also recycle phone numbers to new users after an account was closed. While SMS one-time passwords is useful to verify a phone number for the use cases above, we recommend using additional and stronger forms of authentication to establish sessions. Yeah. So it's not the primary way of. Yeah logging in because that would be terrible i don't know about youtube i'm gonna give this api a hard pass in my life i just like <laughs> not interested i don't know see like there's other ways like authen that's fair that's the other that's one fair i think authen is cool honestly like this this co- sort of like ties really well with authen yeah authen is just like the ability for you to do um extra like otp style thing but with a security key so and that's out there, right? This is, oh, it's not on the list. It's in our document, WebAuthn. That is not on the list. Yeah, so I wrote that down as like, it's coming. I think it's actually quite far in the process because a lot of okay. um, work has been done on WebAuthn and it's pretty talked about in the authentication, like security people community, just because it adds a lot of capabilities for you to use YubiKeys across applications. So you don't have to have like, you can like it's browse like the browser will automatically support it so you don't have to you don't have issues using that process of working so like yubikeys or whatever security key you're using you can just automatically use that to do authentication gotcha so maybe a thing you can do in 2021 not 2020 potentially i actually don't know what the process sure. yeah <laughs> i have no idea like where it is in the yeah When's the next version of you going to come out? That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) 
good question. I don't think that counts as a browser API. Not yet. Not yet. No, WebAuthn is actually really cool because I feel like I have that experience now because I use a password manager mm-hmm. and I have it hooked into my you know, bio marker of my fingerprint on both my phone and my laptop. And you know, the WebAuthn approach basically means you could do that without having to understand password managers and without having to deal with that stuff. You just have you know, any user can authenticate with a biomarker or a YubiKey or whatever, mm-hmm. and they don't have to deal with passwords. And the whole like password stuffing, reused password, et cetera, et cetera, just goes away. Yeah, and, and something to note also, I think specifically with authentication with biometric information like fingerprints, I think there's always the fear that the application will get access to your fingerprint and then if it leaks, that will be out there. But that authentication actually happens locally on your device. And that's never sent across the server. So that is extra added security. Yeah, there is a spoofing question, though. Like, especially with things like iPhones and all of that with using the face recognition. Like, there wasn't sure. there a great video of somebody going around? Yes, there was. I think they put, like, cling film or something they did to their face. And then it just, like, universally <laughs> authenticated. Was that the one? Oh, that wasn't the one I was seeing. I was seeing somebody oh. like their Airbnb host had a similar like face authentication and they were able to spoof it just with pictures from social media. Oh, yeah. I saw the other one where it was like someone did something to their face and then it was just like a universal face or something. Yeah, it turns out faces, maybe not the best authentication <laughs> approach. <laughs> it's one of the biggest features of the Pixel 4, I hear, but which I do not have. It's great unless you have an evil twin. Or somebody yes. takes, or you put your, you don't have your bizarre avatar, Jared, and your face is all over social media. Or Yeah, that's things. true. Ooh, points for me for bizarre avatars. <laughs> but then no one will know what you look like. That's true. Let's go through a couple of these features that people are either likely using right now or they're very approachable. I think prefers color scheme is a cool one, uh, which basically allows mm-hmm. you to detect light mode or dark mode according to what the person has set. OS wide prefers reduced motion is another one that you can use for people. It's kind of an accessibility mm-hmm. feature for those who can get what do you call it sick? I guess with yeah, uh, too much animations, sick. motion sickness. Yeah, yeah. Or if you have um, any issues around like fast moving things, just, yeah. Which I like features like these because they just gracefully fall back, right? Like if the browser mm-hmm. doesn't support prefers reduced motion, then it just doesn't reduce the motion. WebXR is pretty cool too. Have you all seen A-Frame? Yeah, it's great. I've heard about it. I re- I think A-Frame is so cool. What is it? It's it's essentially you can write VR things using HTML, so you don't actually have to write a lot of JavaScript. You you would just like create various things for Box or whatever you need, and then it automatically like component library that turns it's like it a into component VR? library exactly. Yeah, it's like a web component That's rad. style library. That allows you to access VR elements without you having to know a lot of the internals of VR, which generally t- is a very high barrier to entry. So A-Frame yeah. like, makes it so much easier because you can just write it very easily in HTML. The other thing that's really cool about web AR and VR is that it's like your epitome of progressive engagement because you can interact with it without any sort of VR equipment. And it just mm. 
tries mm-hmm. to, you know, falls back to like WebGL type 3D rendering. And then yeah. if you get excited or you have the equipment, you can put it on and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And yeah. I've also heard that, you know, one of the things that WebVR exposes that other VR situations don't, that is, has the potential to make it you know, more powerful than any other VR setting is linkability. So you could link into different VR experiences, uh, yeah, which is that's true. super cool to think about. Yeah. I mean, the other thing also is that I think in general, the VR community, I think they've started calling it XR. So it's like extended reality or like augmented reality. Is that like the umbrella term for both AR and VR is XR? Exactly. Yeah. Because I remember reading about this um, like sometime last year. And because that tends to be like when people talk about VR, they also might talk about AR and vice versa. There's a lot of overlap because it's generally like with VR, it's specifically you'd need a headset or whatever to access it. And then with AR, you don't need a headset necessarily. You can use like some web browsers support it. You can use your phone and so on. And so I think they tried to create this overarching umbrella term called XR. So it covers all of it. And it's so cool. Like XR is really neat because it just, I think honestly for me, I'm not a huge gamer and VR tends to be in that community, like very Mm -hmm. much in the gaming world. And AR, whatever, augmented reality feels more accessible to me and something I would actually use. And for me, that moment of like, oh, wow, this is really useful was when they did the measuring tape one in like one of the Apple keynotes where I was like, this is so cool. And I would totally use that similar to like if I want to buy, this is really like silly, but if you you have an apartment or you own a house and you want to know like where to put furniture, that's really useful. This is like a very, like I'm fully an adult now because I'm thinking about these kinds of things. <laughs> fully an adult. Um, <laughs> but, Ikea is the main use case for this. I know. Ikea and like Wayfair as well. I think Wayfair has their own application that does, mm-hmm. or they have um, a widget in their app that allows you to access that. So you can just be like, I want this furniture and I want to see what it looks like in my house. This is Divya's heuristic of knowing when you're adult is when you find a new interesting technology feature you think how can i use this to decorate my house so this is related but donald glover has a stand-up episode on this where he talks about how you know you're old when you walk into like a home depot or one of those stores and you're like oh i like i could totally use any of these or you have ideas for what you want in your house (laughs) then you know you're like fully just like an old person now thanks you like your childhood has just died (laughs) okay well now that your childhood dead you want you wanted to say something yeah i was actually going to comment that i was surprised to see not that long ago a really valuable business use for ar which was uh as a way to collaborate between like architects and general contractors and things like Mm -hmm. that as they're developing the architecture for what they were going to build and being able to you essentially take the plans and see them and walk around and experience what it is and feel what it's going to look like without or prior to actually building. And I thought that was a super cool example of this technology, which has for a long time kind of felt like a cool tech in search of problem domains being used for a really cool problem or a really real problem domain. I thought that similarly for when Google Glass came out and no one cared for a while, like, and then it died. So there was one use case for Google Glass that I thought was really compelling, which is for emergency responders to talk to doctors. 
So they would be able to like kind of overlay various like the doctors will be able to see what they're doing and they can overlay like various images as they're assessing a patient, which I thought was cool because I'm like, oh, there's a lot of like cross communication that can happen as a result. And someone who is not fully versed in like or able to provide full um, medical support can get can be able to do can save a life somehow with the aid of like someone who is able to do that. So it's, it's it's a really neat use case, which I think, yeah, unfortunately, Google Glass doesn't exist. It was cool while it lasted for like, what, a month or something. But now you can get the <laughs> snap glasses, right? Yeah, now you can use the snap glasses to do Snapchat stuff, which, is, which I guess is cool. Right. Everyone's taking a crack at it. They say Apple is releasing something glasses in the next couple of years. I think ultimately somebody does need to crack that nut in order for it to go mainstream. These for use sure, cases, yeah. because ultimately... You don't want to hold your phone up or your iPad up to do AR. Like it's cool and it's fine, but if you want to be a regular part of consumers' everyday life, put it in our our viewport, right? Yeah, it's like and it's, do it in a way that we actually want to wear it. I mean, that's the problem with Google Glass. You just look like an idiot <laughs> wearing it. I think people are also afraid because they're like, oh, if someone wore Google Glass and then they went to places that were were like considered private, like if you went to the bathroom or whatever. Yeah, creepy factor. It would, yeah, sure. it has that creepy factor, but. Honestly, it's like a sci-fi fantasy to be able to just like automatically pull up stats and see things and have right. real like your reality augmented by additional things that like directions, for example, you don't have to constantly look at your phone. You just automatically can look at a street and tell what it's what it's called or whatever without seeing, is there a street sign or how do I get around? And I think there's safety implication as, as well, because if you're driving, you don't want to like constantly be, obviously you can have audio to help you, but there is a possibility of like that safety aspect if you have a reality augmented onto your existing one. So you know where you're going at any given time. But this, this challenge is something that any really disruptive and new technology goes through. Yeah. You know, we as a society need to figure out what are the ways that actually can use this and help us in a way that's productive. I remember seeing stuff around, you know, when the, we first adopted electricity, it took 50 years before we were fully reaping all the benefits of electricity because not only did we have to spread distribution and get it equally out, which we're still figuring out with AR, like what are the ways that it's going to be distributed, but we had to redesign how we used things, how we set up our houses, how we set up our you know, workspaces, all these other things. And, we're getting faster at those things, but we haven't figured it out for AR and XR. It's just isolated niche cases so far. And I think the power of it is so large that, you know, between AR, XR and AI type things, those two things are places where we've made incredible strides and we're now in that figuring out stage of how do we, you know, use these things throughout our lives and throughout our work to reap the benefits. I think there's also just like what are the possibilities within it because oftentimes when there's a new technology, we're not sure what to do with it. So like to use an example, like the Gutenberg press when it came out, there was only one typeface and that typeface was essentially mimicking the handwriting of monks, which was how mm -hmm. things were copied back then because people were like, what else is there? This is the one way that people read books. And so the possibility of typography didn't exist. 
until much later when people will be like, oh, you could do so much more with it. And so I think it's very similar in terms of when a new technology comes out, we tend to address it in terms of what we know rather than what is possible because like our minds just haven't wrapped around the full spectrum of possibilities within that. If you like this show, I bet you'd enjoy listening to Brain Science. Join clinical psychologist Muriel Reese and Adam Sokoviak as they explore the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and being human. Here's a quick taste of what you can expect. It's from episode four about coping skills and strategies. Take a listen. I often use this acronym with people when they're trying to cope, because, and it's HALT. H-A-L-T. HALT. Because if we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, your coping will invariably look different. I don't care if you're 3, 33, 73. Right. If you are hungry or hangry, angry, <laughs> lonely, or tired, you just have less to be able to navigate it. Brain Science is a great podcast. Check it out at changelog.com slash brain science or just search Brain Science in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. You'll find it. While you're at it, upgrade to our master feed at changelog.com slash master and let your podcast app download all the shows we produce. Then you can pick and choose the ones you're interested in the most and skip the rest. What have you got to lose? All right, back to the show. So after looking deeply at the SMS receiver API, not a huge fan. There's lots of APIs that you could look at and you're like, why? Why are we doing this? Yeah, I think we jumped the gun a little bit when we talked about <laughs> just like, oh, this is cool. Oh, wait, these are the possibilities. And right for abuse. That's how it kind of is, right? As a developer, you're like, you get excited about something. You look, it looks very interesting. And sometimes you hop into the details and you're like, hmm, I'm not so sure. I'll come back in six months and see how it looks. I think it's purely like, you have a use case for it. Like I would have built an application where I would totally use it, but I don't trust mm-hmm. other people to build it. Well. <laughs> I could use this, but I don't want you to use it because you're going to screw it up. I get well, that. it's just like, I don't know. In general, I like to trust that developers would use it well, but there's always bad actors. And so it's very hard to gauge whether or not this would be good or bad. Oftentimes it's bad because... Mm. One, it, it just takes one person to just abuse it and then no one wants to use it or touch or go near it ever again. And that person is usually for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'll start on this one because I have a, a bit of a beef with push notifications in general because yeah. I feel like they are the robots running our lives and we're supposed to be using them to help our lives and they can very quickly take over. And so now many websites have been asking if they could send push notifications. And it's like, I get enough push notifications already. I don't need one from your website. Surely this is best for web apps, right? Versus websites. But any API that's generally available will be generally used. And so the push API allows browsers to register for push notifications. You can send later, etc. Honestly, I've, I always block it. Always. I say no every time. Yeah, because sometimes a site will, like, you'll be on 
I don't know, reading the news or something. They'd be like, do you want push notifications? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And aren't you kind of <laughs> mad that they asked? I'm kind of offended that you thought I might want this. Or a blog. Like, it's just the tenacity when a blog is just like, do you want a push notification? And I'm like, oh, do you publish at every minute? Like, I, what I have to say is so important that you need to know immediately. There's a global principle here, though, which is like, don't ask for a notification out of, or a, a privilege out of context, right? I land on your yeah. site. No, I don't want a freaking push notification. Right. But if, for example, I'm using a calendar and I set something up and it, it says, do you want a reminder? Okay, would you like that as a push? Then maybe I'll say yes. Like, put it in context. Yeah. Why the heck yeah. would I want to give you a push notification? I can think of some reasons. Calendars, if I'm using a web version of Slack, if I'm doing some other things, like, yeah. I think okay. price drops too. Like if I'm buying a flight and I want to know when the price dropped, that yeah. is useful to me. Like there but are legitimate uses for this. Wouldn't you want an email on that? An email? I would almost always want an email in these cases, unless the case of like a Slack application, uh, like Cabal said. Yeah, but sometimes if it requires an immediate thing, let's say like JSConf is releasing tickets or whatever, and they go very quickly, you would want like a push notification just to be like, hey, it's going on sale. You better get on your... If it's I an email, know. I will not see it until it's gone. Maybe <laughs> until I just, it's I'm a hawk on my email too much. I just uh, I stay on top of it. And so that works for me for certain contexts that it doesn't work for other people the gift and a curse but yeah that makes sense i like that if there's a tickets going on like this thing's gonna sell out now and your only context is this browser then send me a push notification but what if it's it just goes to your laptop then and you're you're on the go missed it you're gonna miss jsconf again definitely has some valid use cases you could say both right oh yeah that's true send this to my phone yeah you could do that too once we open the thing, the realm of this is something that we're actually talk in a dialogue with the user about how they want this to be used. There's a ton of possibilities, right? This I want this as soon as I can, wherever I am. Send it to my phone. Send it to my email. Send it to a push notification. Okay, sure. There are situations I can imagine that. Yeah, I think that's a really. I mean, that's a very key point because oftentimes when an app says they want to push i want to know why they're they want to push and then sometimes it would be a legitimate reason that i'll be like yeah that makes sense but i'm gonna go back to the blog thing let's say it's a blog that i read a lot or like css tricks or something that i really enjoy reading i would want to push a notification when something new is published because i'm like i would probably read it but then i would want them to tell me that <laughs> that that is the reason like when we publish a new thing we will notify you and i'm like cool that's I want that versus mm -hmm. can we push notifications to you? And I'm like, for what purpose? There's mm -hmm. no reason why I need this, which is like, it's such an anti-pattern, I think, because now push notifications is so ubiquitous. No one tells you why they need it. And it's the same for cookies. Like I know now we with GDPR and all we have to, websites have to tell you that they're tracking you, but it's really annoying because you can't say no. You, you can't be like, no, I don't want you to track me because there's never that option. Yeah, it's okay, or leave this banner here until you leave the website. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's a user experience choice, though. And it happens to be the one they're all doing. Yeah, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't oh, take yeah. that choice. I take just do what you've been doing choice <laughs> and deal with the ramifications, I guess. 
Because a lot of that's based on a lawyer's advice, based on an interpretation of a law in a place. And it's like, well, it's a CYA kind of a thing. And then you see a big website doing it, and you're a big website, and you're like, shouldn't we be doing this? Because their lawyer probably knows what they're talking about. And then you go talk to your lawyer, and they're like, well, it's not clear according to these laws, but yeah, you should probably just put it up. And then all of a sudden, you see it on every single website on the internet. Isn't that kind of how it goes? Yeah, I mean, yep. you could also choose to allow, like, if you put that banner, give them an option saying, no, I don't want to be tracked. Okay. Window.close. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right, the... the <laughs> <laughs> they say no, and it just auto-closes tab. Like, well, you didn't want it. I mean, well, go. I'm just saying, like, a lot of the sort of stupid interaction or UI there is based on a very quick reaction of we have tracking everywhere. It's going to be hard for us to remove it. So we're going to say, say yes, or don't use the website. But that's based on coming from a domain where it's free and easy to track everyone all the time. And if you're building a new website, you don't have to make that choice anymore, right? You could say, I'm actually going to listen to what my users say and choose not to track them if they say no, for example. Agree 100%. What other APIs are bad, in our humble opinions? Well, we talked about the file system API on yeah. our 2020 Easy. show, where I was worried that they might be potentially abused, but has a lot of opportunity. As Chris mentioned, there are cool things you can do with it. So it's not like it's bad. I guess it's just open for abuse. But in terms of things where you look at these this list and you wonder how many developer hours are going into this feature that I don't know if browsers should really do this anyways. Are there, are there any of those? I'm kind of wondering about that vibration API. <laughs> oh, really? What's that one? I didn't see that. Basically, it's what it sounds like. It provides access. <laughs> the description. <laughs> I was hoping for a surprise. The description. It provides access to the vibration mechanism of the hosting device. Essentially, I mean... It kind of makes sense. You have a phone, you're doing stuff on there. Like there are situations, especially if you're doing games where like you want the device to vibrate. Okay, fine. Yeah, like a rumble pack on the yeah, old exactly. NS64. Like, sure, okay. And you know, I play games on my phone that use that to good effect. However, it always feels like it's like a very minor bonus. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't help that much. Maybe it helps a little bit. And it just seems like it's yeah. so ripe for abuse. <laughs> I often just have battery saver mode and it just automatically turns off all vibrations. So, I, I good vibrations. <laughs> Maybe it's like, do you want to push notification and then it vibrates? <laughs> it's like, if you don't see it, it's like vibrate, vibrate. Hey, we're over here. I was thinking about, I mean, we're Why talking about at me? mashups, right? There's also a page visibility API. So anytime you get, you know, a callback or something whenever your page is no longer visible. So I could just imagine, you know, as soon oh, as you tab away, your device vibrates. Oh, no. It's like, it's like, did you forget about us? That's an abusive relationship right there. Or maybe shopping carts. It would be like reminder that you have an, a shopping cart that's like abandoned. I guess I can see that, but I would be very annoyed by that personally. It's just like, okay, I chose not to buy your thing, but it's in the shopping cart and I'm too lazy to go back and empty it. All right. You could also imagine like, as, uh, well, I wonder if laptops, do laptops have a vibration mechanism or is it just <laughs> phones? I don't think so. Because you can imagine like you have your laptop and as if you hover over something in particular, instead of like oh it shaking God. visibly, your laptop buzzes. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. 
I don't think your laptop has a gyroscope, does it? Not yet. <laughs> oh, man. Here's one that was probably a waste of time is the Force Touch API, which is a, an Apple-specific hardware feature, which they appear to be moving away from because they're now going long press on everything and Force Touch is no longer in vogue. So all the effort into that, I mean, it's still going to work on devices that do that, but it's such a small niche and it's going to be a vanishing one over the years. So maybe efforts could have been put elsewhere. But you can detect force pressure. I think the other one that I have, like the contacts API, like to get access to contacts, like I really hate that. Just because I've never, I never want to share my contacts with an app ever. Like I know some people want to because they're like, oh, people have added their phone number to their Twitter account and you can search and add them on Twitter really easily. But I, I never do that just because I want, I almost want to keep those things separate. Like to me, anyone in my phone as contacts is very personal and mm-hmm. anything else is just like more social random yep sounds ripe for abuse yeah it does that's another one that's in origin trial do you remember those old apps like was it like plaxo and things like that where they would ask you and like just pull and scrape all of the people in your email contacts Mm -hmm. and things like that like yeah this sounds like viral abuse waiting to happen oh yeah yeah when would you like that feature so if you're gonna email somebody from inside an app or something and it can get your contacts and like fill, autofill their email address like if it's a gmail style web app like if it matches the person's name and you're like typing the person's name and they're like oh this person i wonder if that would allow you to run a sync between an os and a, mm. a gmail style app so you could just sync my contacts between gmail and my native icloud or whatever i guess android already has that because if you're on google yeah, that would be cool because I definitely have a disparity between multiple Gmail accounts plus my iCloud contacts and their people exist in some places and not in others. And it would be cool to have a sync. I think for me, it's like if they're not in a certain place, I, I just forget that they exist. <laughs> like, I don't need, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, maybe I don't need to contact them. It's fine. Unless they, and then if they pop up again, then I'll just add them as needed. Because it's just a way, it's a way of like purging contacts almost instead of just like migrating. It's relationship management. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes like I'll, you know, if I go rock climbing and someone's like, hey, we should climb sometime and gives me their number and then they move away and I'm like, I'm never going to contact you ever again. And I don't want your number just like in my contacts. I wouldn't want to migrate it. It's a formalization that not everybody is, you know, worthy of. I'd actually really like something that made it easy to kind of clean up my contacts because Mm. like my contacts have gotten copied from phone to phone to phone to phone to phone. And at some point along the way they got duplicated. So I have like five versions of a bunch of people, but that there's like hundreds of them. And so I'm not going to manage those and remove those by hand in my phone. So if I had like, a spreadsheet API or something, right? Like pull these into mm-hmm. a spreadsheet, clean them up and dump them back out. Or even something just let me. It's like remove dupes. Or exactly. Something. Remove dupes. Yeah. Like that would be awesome. So yeah, I could see a really powerful, wonderful use case for that. In fact, I wonder I could maybe even write that. Like what, are, what is this supported Whoa. in? That, this uh, gives me an probably. idea for a hack project that would help my there phone. There you go. You can use the context API for that. Uh, there you go. 
So we go from like, this is lame, right? For abuse to like, I'm actually coding for this right now. I like that. Yeah. Only supported for as an origin trial on Chrome for Android. So cannot work for right now. Ah. Does it let you only do read or does it also write? It's only read. Oh, it looks like it's only read. Well, you could read them all out into a sheet and then manage them and then you could do it, import some other way. And then I'd get another set of duplicates, right? Because no, you well, just, you would just delete clear all out your, your Android. Yeah. You could do this without a web browser. Yeah. Oh. According yeah. to Chris in the chat, Google does remove dupes for contacts. I know there's a merge button inside of Apple Contacts as well. Is there? Okay, well, there's solutions out there for you. I think it's only dupes if it's actually like the same name. So if there's like a weird space or there's like weird capitalization, I'm not sure it does that. So I'm in Apple. This sounds like the kind of domain that has probably 101 open source contact mergers out there and just require a little bit of effort to go find a good one and use it. I think we can get you there, K-Ball. I can get you fixed up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's one person in my phone 10 times. I don't know how that happened. 10 times? You must really like them. I mean, it's not even somebody I interact with very often. Well, do a Divya. You know, wipe that person from your life. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. Did they're not worthy of contact. Can- canceled. So from what I can tell, I have to like to to delete them. I have to click into them. Then I have to go into like edit. I have to do another. It's three clicks per duplicate to delete it. Oh, no. And then I have to confirm that I want to delete it. And now I'm down to nine instead of ten. So is this an Android phone? No, it's an iOS phone. Oh, it's an iOS phone. So pop it open on your on your Mac, where it's going to be less clicks. It's all iCloud. Oh, yeah, you're on like a six versions old Mac. Not going to work. Upgrade, baby. Catalina, here comes K-Ball. Uh-oh. All right, any other APIs we would like to discuss before we call it a day? I just wanted to pray, or bring up the potential mashup of the native file system access and web VR so that you can... You know, just start like walking through a 3D it's exploration like, of your computer. Oh, like like on uh, cool. Jurassic Park when she's navigating the Unix system. I think that would be, uh, you know, sci-fi come to life, right? <laughs> I like yeah. that. Your photo album will be like museum mode. Yeah. Except... <laughs> Except more like a like an Isabella Stewart Gardner like museum of random things. Well, and you know, like Google has this stuff where it'll take photos and it'll automatically automate them. So the oh next, my gosh, they'll create like videos. Yeah, the your, next step is like do music. that into AR, right? So like take oh, these gee. people and make them three D and like automatically. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, it, the future is coming. It's like winter, right? Winter is coming. The future is coming indeed. Any other mashups before we uh, <laughs> stop? I mean, I mentioned my vibration plus page visibility mashup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else we can add into that to make it even more ridiculous? Um, so many possibilities. Well, you could add the uh, web speech API. So when you page away, it vibrates and says, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I feel like it Don't could be about also... Me. You could do like battery status and vibration. Like that could be actually very useful. Like, hey, you're running out of battery. Wouldn't that drain your battery faster? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I often need a reminder. Like I almost feel like it should do similar to what cars do. Like there's still like a little bit of juice, but it won't right. tell you. 
just and then accurate, just vibrate. I'd be happy yeah. with just an accurate battery reading. Right now, it's like I'm at twelve percent, and then it just turns off. You know, if we could just get uh, like yeah. the percentages to work, I would be a a happy camper. How about the combo of the native file access and the web USB, so you can automatically, you know, steal stuff from your computer or yeah, back access or like, something like that, like through guess, a web browser. You can already like USBs can already have run executable code so that might not be useful but i was just thinking like plug in your device go to the this website and it proceeds to dig through and copy everything some of these features and ideas reminds me of the stoner character that ben stiller played on what's the stoner movie uh half-baked where he would say have you ever looked at a 20 dollar bill have you ever looked at a 20 dollar bill on weed like that was his whole shtick and a lot of this just seems like hey have you ever used usb have you ever used it in your browser? It's almost just like, well, <laughs> I have a computer. Like, I can just use it in my computer, but why do I got to send it through a browser? I feel like maybe there's a little bit of a browser obsession that we have. I mean, I do think the, the web USB thing is, is super cool for updating firmware. Uh, we talked about that at, on some other episode. Like, there's Yeah, I know really Suze was very cool excited about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that it enables, but there's also some potential for abuse. Definitely. All right, that's JS Party for this week. If you'd like us to discuss a specific topic or to talk to a specific guest, or if you like certain panelists more than others, and you're like, hey, bring us more Divya, you can hit us up at changelog.com slash request, select JS Party in the dropdown. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast. We'd be happy to oblige. That's all I got for you this time. Hey, get out there. Use some APIs. Use them wisely. Use them in your browsers. If you're ever looking for inspiration, go to Faraz's website. (laughs) (laughs) Themostannoyingwebsite.com, I think. If you learned one thing from today's show, check out the Web Coffee API. Oh, yeah. Oh, Web Coffee and the Vibrations API together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Divya wins the pod. I love that. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to JS Party. We record live on Thursdays. Come hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. If you have an awesome show idea or guest you'd like to have us invite on, let us know at changelog.com slash request. Or hit us up on Twitter. We're JS Party FM. Our beats are produced by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. And we're brought to you by awesome sponsors. Support them. They support us. We've got Fastly on bandwidth, Linode on hosting, and Rollbar on bugs. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Let me quickly paint a picture of the future. You're walking down the sidewalk on a a beautiful day and you have your AR glasses on and you're looking chic and cool and everybody has them on so you don't stand out at all. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're scrolling live streams right there in front of your eyes and you happen upon a live stream where you see somebody who's walking right into oncoming traffic and you think to yourself, oh no, this person's such a fool and then you get hit by a car because you're walking directly into oncoming traffic and you're looking at a video feed of yourself about to hit a car and now you're dead. I think this is novel worthy. <laughs> <laughs> you can write a sci-fi the novel future. about it.
the future we deserve. The future we deserve. <laughs>